1976, a man in Dallas, Texas is arrested. It is believed that he has shot and killed a police officer. This man is sentenced to death. What makes this case unbelievable is yet to come. Come hang out with me while I talk true crime. Welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Let's just dive straight in to this week's case. A 27-year-old man named Randall Adams and his brother set out on a road trip in October of 1976. The two begin this road trip in Ohio, where they are from, and the destination is California. It would have been autumn in Ohio. The weather would have been getting crisp. People would have been dusting off their flannels after storing them all summer. The leaves would have been changing color and falling to the ground. And those who love Halloween would have been decorating their homes and collecting pumpkins to carve before the 31st. Not Randall and his brother, though. No, no. They were leaving town to drive across country, literally from one side of America to the other. The brothers, they were looking for work, and they thought California might just have what they're looking for. Why they chose California, I do not know. If I had to guess, I'd say because Southern California offers what Ohio does not, that being warm beaches, or maybe because San Francisco was a huge part of the 70s. Maybe they wanted to check out that whole situation. You know, the whole hate Nashbury scene. Either way, they thought they were headed towards prosperity and growth not a nightmare. They didn't quite make it to California by Thanksgiving, which was November 25th. They must have been enjoying the road trip, stopping lots, taking their time, or maybe even the highways weren't as established as they are today, because Google Maps tells me it's about a 35-hour drive from Ohio to California. Why it's taken them a month or longer to get almost halfway, I do not know. I don't know the details of this road trip, All I could find was that by Thanksgiving, they had stopped in Dallas, Texas. When I looked on a map, I could see that this is just less than halfway to California. While they were stopped in Dallas, Randall is offered a job and he accepts it. This job, it was something to do with contracting. He arrives in Dallas Thursday the 25th. Friday morning the 26th, he gets offered a job when he's eating breakfast. Saturday, the 27th of November, Randall, he drives to the job site at, the, at his new job. He drives there in the morning and he finds out that actually they're not working that weekend. And that must have not been communicated to Randall. And Randall, he starts driving back to the motel. He and his brother were staying at and he runs out of gas. He's out of gas. He's stranded on the side of the road. But soon enough, around 10 a.m., a vehicle pulls up. The person in this vehicle is a 16-year-old boy who has stolen this vehicle from his neighbor. What could possibly go wrong in this situation? Well, wait, it gets worse. This boy has also stolen two of his dad's guns, a pistol and a shotgun. 
this boy, he has just driven from a town in Texas called Vidor, I believe it is, V-I-D-O-R. I could be pronouncing that wrong. That town is 465 kilometers away from Dallas. Why this boy had stolen two guns and a car and drove 465 kilometers, that's beyond me, but he did. And now he was stopped to help Randall Adams on, on the side of the road who had run out of fuel and he, he saw Randall Adams, I think he was about 100 meters from his car. He was, you know, just started walking with this fuel can and stops to help him. There was little to no chance they were going to find an open gas station because remember it was Thanksgiving weekend. And in America, that is a huge deal. Most gas stations, they're probably closed. And perhaps that's why Randall got this 16-year-old to give him a ride back to his motel room. Once back at the motel room, the kids stuck around because Randall and his brother got some beer and they were all drinking. Someone pulled out some weed and they were all smoking weed as well. According to Randall, around 2 or 3 p.m., he and the kid went to a place called Bronco Bowl. Then that evening, Randall and the kid decided to go to the drive-in theater because this is the 70s and drive-in theaters were a thing to do on a Saturday. They could drink their beer, they could watch some movies, they could just hang out. The two watched two movies that night. The first one was called The Student Body, and the second movie was The Swinging Cheerleaders. I'm not familiar with either of those movies. I have, I have no idea. But Randall Adams, he wasn't into The Swinging Cheerleaders movie. It didn't um, interest him. And he didn't want to watch it, but the 16-year-old kid, he, he did want to watch it. So they stayed to the end. This is now the part of the timeline where things get messy. It's well into the night by this point. It's after midnight, actually. So now it's the 28th of November. Saturday has just turned into Sunday. It's about 1230. Officer Robert Wood and Officer Teresa Turco. They had the unfortunate night shift that night. And when Officer Wood saw a vehicle with its headlights out, he thought he should stop and let them no to to turn their lights on he did not bring his his ticket book with him as he approached the vehicle all he wanted to do was tell them hey turn your lights on as he approached the vehicle gunshots rang out in the still night each one hitting officer wood each one coming from the driver's side window of the vehicle Officer Wood suffered several gunshots, including one to his forearm and one to his chest. I read in a transcript of the Thin Blue Line that Officer Wood's wife had purchased him a bulletproof vest for Christmas that year, which was less than a month away. How sad is that? Also, why were police not given bulletproof vests as part of their uniform? That I do not know. Officer Wood's partner is witnessing him being shot. And as soon as she could register what's going on, she shoots every bullet in her gun at the vehicle that is now racing away. The vehicle that someone in had just shot her work partner. Unfortunately, Officer Robert Woods could not be saved and he died right there from his injuries. This was supposed to be a routine stop. All he was doing was approaching the vehicle, telling them to turn their lights on, and then everyone would have proceeded with their evening. All of a sudden, gunshots are fired. Officer Woods is bleeding severely on the ground. The car is speeding away, and Officer Turco is firing into the night. 
What an absolute chaotic situation and a tragic end to the young officer's life. When a police officer is murdered, you can just imagine how investigators handle this on somewhat of a personal level. They wanted to solve this case yesterday. They wanted the guilty party in cuffs and in front of a judge ASAP. They wanted justice and probably a little more than that even. Unfortunately, Officer Turco, she could only tell them it was a blue Vega. That was the vehicle. She said it was a blue Vega. She couldn't give much more information about the vehicle, not even a license plate. Police, they were desperate to catch this gunman. They even tried resorting to having Officer Turco hypnotized, trying to pull more information out of her, but it just wasn't there to pull. Police were going wild looking at every blue Vega vehicle. It seemed like if you had a blue Vega, you had been looked at twice by police by the time you drove from your house to the grocery store. It was so bad that people with blue Vegas were calling police to get them to come see them and their car just so they could be crossed off as a suspect. Do you know who had something similar to a blue Vega? David Ray Harris. Who is David Ray Harris, you ask? Well, you might know him better as the 16-year-old boy who stole his neighbor's blue car and father's guns and went to Dallas, found Randall Adams on the side of the road, picked him up, went to his motel, went to the drive-in theater. Yes, that David Harris. After that Thanksgiving weekend in Dallas, David Ray Harris went back the 465 kilometers to Vador, Texas, where he then robs a 7-Eleven with a 22 caliber rifle. He put the gun right up to the woman's neck who was working. Soon the police in Vador, they start investigating a break and enter. So the 7-Eleven was robbed and then there's a break and enter and there's another stolen vehicle and there's just this wave of crime happening. And this is somehow thought to be David Ray Harris's doing. Police start investigating this and through this, they start hearing rumors about David. Like he's telling people he killed a cop up in Dallas. Not only telling them, but demanding they believe him. One of David's friends told the documentary A Thin Blue Line that David came into his home, saw the news on the TV reporting about Officer Woods being shot and killed in Dallas, and David said, I swear to God, I killed that fucking pig. I'm the one who killed him. David even produced the pistol and told his friend this was the gun he used. There's more though. It seemed like David was telling anyone who would listen he killed that Dallas police officer. And when everyone was kind of like, yeah, right, David, okay, and and brushed off the claim, he was just being more and more adamant. David had even described in detail to another friend how the shooting went down, and it matched exactly what Officer Turco was saying. David told his friend that he was driving around Dallas in a stolen car got pulled over, and when the officer approached the vehicle, he shot him through the window. Another friend said David was trying so hard to make everyone believe him. He was telling everyone, quote, I swear to God I killed that cop, unquote. So he was going around swearing to God 
that he killed this cop. And he was telling everyone but the police. He did not tell the police that. To police, he tells a different story. He said that Randall Adams was driving the car and it was Randall who shot Officer Woods. He said they were stopped and Officer Woods came up to the car and that's when Randall just started shooting. He says they then went back to Randall's motel room and he wanted to stay there, but Randall said his brother wouldn't allow it, but he would go and see. And when Randall never came back, David said he took off and found a parking lot to sleep in. Then the next day, drove back to Vidor. Later in court, David Harris would testify that after Randall murdered the officer and drove back to the motel, when he got out, he said to David, quote, don't worry about it. Forget this ever happened, unquote. Randall Adams has never, not once, been in trouble with the law. David is only 16 years old and police are very aware of him. He is getting into trouble all the time. So who do police believe? Well, they believe the 16-year-old kid who is known for lying and stealing. According to Randall Adams, David has several charges against him at this time, such as breaking and entering, aggravated assault, armed robberies. And this is just the part I can't believe, that police are believing everything that 16-year-old David Harris is saying, given his track record. Why are police believing anything this kid says? He has been telling everyone he killed the police officer in Dallas. He clearly has a violent, unstable record, and he's only 16. His crimes are only going to escalate. Again, Randall Adams is 27 years old, and he has no criminal record. So police ask David Harris, they're like, why have you been saying that you killed that police officer? And he says, yeah, you know, I, I was saying that, uh, but that was a lie and it wasn't me. And now I want to come clean and I want to tell you guys who actually did it. Randall Adams was brought in for questioning December 21st, less than a month after Officer Woods' murder. Police tried to get him to sign a confession and he would not do that because he had nothing to confess. The officer, according to, this is according to Randall, the officer pointed a gun at Randall's face and told him to sign it. This did not make him sign it. Most people would probably sign something with a gun to their face, but not Randall. The officer had also put a pistol on the table in front of Randall and told him to pick it up. Randall also refused that offer. That detail was quite strange to me because I was like, did that officer want fingerprints on this gun? Did this officer want to say, oh, he grabbed a gun and I, and I had to shoot him? Like, why was this officer putting a gun on the table wanting Randall to, to grab it? That was such a eerie detail. Randall told police on the day in question, November 27th, he had run out of fuel at 10 a.m. David Harris picked him up on the side of the road as he walked with a fuel can. They went back to the motel, hung out, drank beer, or went to Bronco Bowl around 2 or 3, saw some movies at the drive-in around 7 p.m., and then David dropped him off at his motel before 10.30 where Randall bought cigarettes from a small store near the motel. He told David to come see him Monday morning and maybe he could get him a job and then he went to his room. At first it sounds like Randall said his brother was awake and his brother also 
said that he was awake when Randall got home. So this was the first thing he was like, yeah, my brother was awake. And his brother was like, yeah, I was awake. And we both watched wrestling. But his brother wouldn't testify in court. At some point, Randall changed this part. And he said his brother was actually sleeping when he got back. And he made a sandwich. He watched TV. He said he caught the end of the Carol Burnett show, which I don't know what that is, but I hear them reference it in that 70s show all the time. Then he watched about 20 minutes of the news and then he went to bed. At what point his statement changed to this? This is unclear, but for sure by 1988, because I read that version in a transcript from 1988. Regardless, the the day of his police questioning, Randall could have talked until he was blue in the face. The police weren't going to listen to a single word he was saying. They wanted him for this murder, not a 16-year-old boy that couldn't be sentenced to death. Randall Adams, he was arrested on the charge of capital murder. Eventually, a typed record is made of Randall's statement, and he reads over it, and he agrees to it, and he signs it. This was something that he agreed to. This was something he said. And this statement, it ends up taking a twist, or they twist this, saying that Randall said he doesn't remember parts of the night. And this gets played up as he conveniently forgot about shooting and murdering Officer Woods. It took a while for someone to eventually go ask the store clerk if he sold Randall cigarettes around 10.30 p.m. the night of November 27th. And the store clerk said, probably, he probably sold, you know, he probably did. He sold Randall and his brother lots of cigarettes. It was well over a month by this point. Could have even been two months. So he couldn't recall an exact date. He could have been like, oh yeah, on the 27th of this day at 10 30 I sold this guy cigarettes he was like I don't know I sold him lots of cigarettes maybe I did sell him cigarettes at 10 30 at night on November 27th I don't know is it possible yes do I remember exactly no at some point David led police to the gun and the car used in the murder up in Dallas the car was not a blue Vega like they first thought uh, and they thought that because of officer Turco's statement but it was a blue Chevy Comet. David had both the car and the gun in Vidor where he lived while Randall Adams was still up in Dallas yet police are still gunning for Randall. Let's talk about the trial. Let's talk about who testified who said what and this is where it just this this trial it oof. Okay, let's just talk about it. You know David Harris testified against Randall Adams. You just know that. David Harris, he gets up there and he swears up and down that Randall Adams shot and killed Officer Woods after they left the drive-in movie. He says Randall was driving. He turned off the highway, pulled over. The cop saw them, walked up to the window David said he slumped down in the passenger seat to kind of hide or he was scared or whatever. And then boom, shots were fired by Randall. Randall drove off, went to the motel, told him to forget about it and that it never happened. And then the two parted ways. This is what, this is what David Harris is saying. I'd like to get my eyes on a transcript of David's testimony in court because I want to know if in court, if he said the part about wanting to sleep in the motel room 
and Randall was going to ask his his brother if David could sleep there that night and then never came back out. So David went in and slept in a parking lot because this comes back later. So I just want to know if he mentioned this in his testimony in court. Another testimony came from Officer Turco, Officer Woods's partner the night he was murdered. Officer Turco says she got out of the car and was standing to the back of the vehicle as it was being approached upon by her partner. As Officer Woods approached the driver's side, um, he was then shot. She also gave a brief description about the silhouette of the shooter. Pause. Let's just pause right here for a second. Let's just take this back to the 28th of November, right after the murder. I'm talking 15 minutes after the murder. Officer Turco said the shooter was wearing a fur-lined collar. I'm thinking this is like an aviator jacket style, which of course were popular in the 70s and still are now. But... Okay, so she's 15 minutes after all this happened on the 28th, she's like, it was somebody with a a, 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 a collared jacket, a collar, a, a fur-lined collar. But then in court, that changes to the shooter had bushy hair. I'm just curious how it got from something around the neck, a collar, to on top of the head, to bushy hair. This sounds strange. Randall has bushy hair. But David Harris was the one wearing a fur-lined parka the night Officer Woods was murdered. Hmm. So wouldn't the killer have had a fur-lined collar on? I mean, like I said, when did this change to bushy hair? Sometime between the original statement and the trial, I guess. Sometime between 15 minutes after Officer Woods was murdered to this trial. That's when it changed. This is where things get weird for me with her testimony because she also said she shot all the bullets in her gun at the vehicle as it drove off. She's a trained shooter. She would have been really close to the vehicle, but the vehicle that was used in this shooting didn't have a single bullet hole in it. Is it possible She wasn't following protocol that night and didn't get out of the police car to stand behind the vehicle as her partner was approaching it. Is it possible she was sitting in her car and had to jump out to fire her gun, which is why she didn't have an advantage, why she didn't hit it? Is that possible? Yes. Is this proven? No. But we got a long way to go. There was a reward announced. Anyone who had seen the shooter that night or that had information that could lead to an arrest should come forward and testify and be awarded $21,000. To me, this sounds like you're asking for false testimonies, but okay, here we go. Let's look at what happened. Emily Miller and her husband, R.L. Miller, they sure do like the sounds of $21,000. Emily, she had been fired from the gas station that she had been working at from stealing from the till two weeks before November 28th, the day in question. Remember that. Emily Miller testifies that she finished work at the gas station on November 28th. This gas station, she says her and her husband both work at. She said they had been fighting at work and they thought it would be better to fight in their car than at home because of kids. I guess they had kids there. So they went for something to eat 
at this diner, at this restaurant. And I was so confused reading this because she says they were fighting. Why does that mean you have to go to a restaurant? I don't, I don't know. It just was so weird to me. Um, and also remember she no longer worked at the gas station. She's saying she's working out on November 28th. It's just a straight up lie already. Anyways, this is what she's saying. Her and her husband were driving around fighting after working at the gas station job that she doesn't have at this time. And they decide to stop at this diner because I guess all that fighting made them hungry. This diner they go to, this is where Officer Woods and Officer Turco, they had just been there. It's also very close in proximity to the roadside where the shooting happens. I have a theory about this. But I'm going to talk about it later on when I've told you everything I need to tell you. This is what Emily says about this in court. Okay, so she, she let me paint you a picture here from, from what I could gather. Apparently she's testifying in court. She's on that witness stand and she's flinging her finger around. She's pointing her finger at Randall and she's telling everyone that's the man. He did it. Uh, that's the guy who, who shot the officer and she said that that night they were her and her partner were driving past her and her husband were driving past and she saw Randall in the car that was pulled over on the side of the road with the gun pointing out the window of the car at the officer that she's saying she saw all of that and she's saying and that's the man he's right there there he is now what is her husband testifying well, he was he was driving that night. Um, so this is R.L. Miller, and he's saying that he was driving past that night with his wife, and they saw a car on the side of the road. Um, the man in the driver's seat had a beard and a mustache and uh, dark blonde hair, and that he's sure it was Randall Adams in the driver's seat of the blue car that was pulled over on the side of the road. He also said he did hear gunshots, but as they were further away. He's more so saying that his wife was being really nosy and, and looking at what was happening. And he was just like, it's none of our business. Let's get out of here. But he did look. Well, 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 well. Apparently, Emily and R.L. Miller, they had been arrested for disorderly and drunk behavior due to a knife fight they were having at home. The same home where according to Emily, they have kids. And this is why they were even speaking to police. This is how this even came up in conversation with police because they were arrested. It was when they were arrested for this outburst, they decided to tell police about what they saw the night Officer Woods was murdered. I'm sure the reward money had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Someone who worked with RL said that he admitted to them that it was too dark to see anything but he would say anything for money basically they could pay him and tell him to say what he saw and he would do it but again I'm sure the money had nothing to do with it sounds like Emily and R.L. Miller are not the most ethical, reliable, or trustworthy of people. And here they are, testifying in court. There was another person who testified. This third person is Michael Randall. 
Michael Randall. So we've got another Randall here. Not Randall Adam, Michael Randall. This man says he saw a blue car pulled over. Uh, The driver had dark blonde hair and a mustache. He said the passenger had no facial hair. So he brought up a passenger. Emily and RL, I don't believe they brought up a a passenger. Uh, But again, what Michael Randall is describing describes Randall in the driver's seat and David in the passenger seat. But I thought it was too dark to see anything according to what RL told his friend. So why would Michael Randall be able to see in the dark? Michael Randall, he was a salesman by trade. And this made me wonder, what is he selling to this court? Why is he up there? Is this for the money as well? Hmm. It uh, also seemed like he testified one thing and then told a different story in the documentary, The Thin Blue Line. I think the court testimonial, he said he was playing basketball. And then in the documentary, he said he was leaving a bar with a woman who wasn't his wife. So I don't know if he told a different story in court because he didn't want his wife to know that he had another woman in his car. And then when this documentary took place, maybe he wasn't married anymore. So he was like, okay, I'll tell you the real story. Or who even knows? We got one more person to testify. But this is not someone who's claiming to have seen Randall in the blue car on the side of the road that night in question. Nope. But this is someone who claims he can basically predict the future like some type of Black Mirror episode. This is forensic psychiatrist and his name is James Grigson. Before I go any further, I I just need to note that James Grigson was eventually cast out of both the American Psychiatric Association and the Texas Society of Psychiatric Physicians. Why, you ask? Well, apparently his expert testimony, which he gave a lot over his lengthy career, always for the prosecution, was potentially unethically conducted. Keep that in mind as I read on. By the way, when I say a lot, I mean a hundred trials that he testified at that resulted in a death sentence being handed down. That's why he has the nickname Dr. Death. If you ask me, that's what pure evil looks like. I'm sure he was paid very well for each of those testimonies by the prosecution. The psychiatrist had indeed went and saw Randall when Randall was being held in jail. James asked Randall a lot of questions, such as, what's the meaning of a a rolling stone gathers no moss, and and stuff like that. From this, James Grigson concluded Randall Adams was comparable to Charles Manson, and that if he was free, he would murder half of Dallas, and that he was such a menace, and he went on and on and on, and... And he basically testified that in court, that, oh, he's, he's a danger to society, basically. Like a bad, bad danger, like comparable to, you know, a, someone who would murder half a Dallas, I guess. Before these testimonies, it was looking promising that Randall might not be found guilty. But after these testimonies, well, let's just see what happened. 
I will say this though, the prosecution sure did a good job turning nothing into something because on May 3rd, 1977, Randall Adams was found guilty and sentenced to death for the murder of Officer Woods. His execution date was set for May 8th, 1979. They were not fucking around with this execution date. Three days before his execution, his death sentence was converted to a life sentence. There was a lot happening in between, but basically three days before his execution, all this legal mumble jumble happened and it ended up with him being converted to a life sentence and taken off of death row. That's right. He's been watching this day get closer and closer. He's been watching his death day get closer and closer. The day he thinks he's going to die. And then three days before... Texas is like, psych, <laughs> gotcha, just kidding, here's a life sentence, we're actually not going to kill you. Okay, so <laughs> this doesn't end here, we're not done yet, there is still a lot more to come. 1985 rolls around, Randall, he's still sitting in prison, David Harris is still out there, in the world, causing chaos. I think for a minute he joined the army, he went to Germany. He got a dishonorable discharge because he was robbing over in Germany. He was doing B&Es and stealing over there. I don't know. He just, he was still wilding. By the look of his criminal past, I found online he was, he was busy. He was busy committing uh, crimes. One night in 1985, David decides he wants to abduct a woman from her bed from her home, in her bed, sleeping at night at gunpoint. He breaks into a home where a man and woman are sleeping. David locks the man in a room, grabs the woman out of her bed where she was just sleeping with her boyfriend who he's now locked in a room, forces her outside to his vehicle trying to take her. She's screaming, she's yelling. I mean, she's being abducted. She's terrified. Obviously, she's she's going to be you know, trying to get away, screaming, yelling, struggling. The woman's boyfriend, he gets out of that locked room, runs out of the house with his own gun. And him and David Harris, they're now in the middle of this gunfight where David, he's shot twice, once in the arm and once in the neck. The other man, however, is shot five times and dies as a result. David Harris somehow does not die from his injuries. He's shot in the neck, shot in the arm, and he's just like, do-do-do. Uh, takes four days for police to get him. I think he was pulled over for drink driving, and they were like, wait a minute. He would have had these fresh bullet wounds in him. I don't know. So he got he got picked up four days later after this. He's still alive. He manages to get away from the scene of the crime. And the woman he was abducting she gets away from David Harris and she is now left to watch her boyfriend die. So this just seems to be the, the trail of chaos that David Harris kind of leaves behind him everywhere he goes. The man that David had shot and killed was 30-year-old Mark Mays. And for this crime, David Harris is found guilty and sentenced to death. So now David Harris is on death row. In 1988, a man named Errol Morris, he sets out to make a documentary on the 1976 Dallas police officer murder involving David Harris and Randall Adams. 
But there's an interesting fact here because this actually started out as a documentary about Dr. Death, James Grigson, but it turned into the Officer Woods and, and Randall Adams case. I tried desperately to watch this documentary, but I could not get my eyeballs on it. I tried to rent it on Amazon Prime because I, people were like, yeah, it's on there. Um, which was literally the only place I could find it. Everything else was like, yeah, we got it. But then I'd look and it was like, nah. And then there was one thing called like AMC and they're like, we got it, but you got to sign up and give us your credit card before you can even look. And I was like, no. So then I finally find it on Amazon Prime. I enter in all my card deets. I'm like, yeah, let's watch it. And a little box pops up and the box is like, hey, once you hit okay, you're going to be charged $2.89 and you can't get this refunded and then you can watch this movie. And I'm thinking $2.89, yes, I would pay that four or five times over to watch this because I've been reading so much about this documentary and I can't find it anywhere. And then I hit okay. And then a box pops up and it's like, ooh, psych, you can't watch this in your country. It's not available for you. And I was like, damn it. I tried. I tried really, really hard to get this documentary. I couldn't do it. You know what I did find? I found a transcript of the entire documentary of The Thin Blue Line. And I read it. Well, this documentary, it sure did cast a lot of doubt on whether or not Randall Adams was the true killer. And what is really haunting is how it ended. So this documentary, it had a lot of people talking. And a lot of people were seeing things they never saw before about this case. And they were like, mm, what? But the ending. So I'm going to read to you the ending. Listen to this as, as, I, as, I, as I tell it because this is crazy. So Errol, the guy who's making the documentary, he asked David, would you say that Adams is a pretty unlucky fellow? David Harris responds, definitely. If it wasn't for bad luck, he wouldn't have had none. Errol Morris says, what was the bad luck? David Harris responds, could have been any number of things, depend on how you want to look at it. It's like I told you a while ago about the guy that didn't have no place to stay. If he had a place to stay, he'd never have nowhere to go, right? Errol, you mean if he would have stayed there at the motel that night, this never would have happened? David Harris, good possibility, good possibility. Heard of the proverbial scapegoat? There's probably been thousands of innocent people convicted, and there will probably be thousands more. Why? Who knows? Errol. Is he innocent? David. Did you ask him? Errol. Well, he's always said he's been innocent. David. There you go. Don't believe him, huh? Criminals always lie. Errol. Well, what do you think about whether or not he's innocent? David. I'm sure he is. Errol. How can you be sure? David. Because I'm the one that knows. Errol. Were you surprised when the police blamed him? David, they didn't blame him. I did. A scared 16-year-old kid. He would sure like to get out of it if he can. Errol, do you think they believed you? David, 
no doubt, must have. They didn't have nothing else until I gave them something, so I guess they got something. They run with it, you know? Errol, were you surprised they believed you? David Harris, it might have been, I don't know. I was hoping they'd believe me, you know? After all was said and done, it was kind of unbelievable. But there it was. I've always thought if you could say why there's a reason Randall Adams is in jail, it might be because the fact that he didn't have no place for somebody to stay that helped him that night, landed him where he's at. That might be the reason. That might be the only total reason why he's where he's at today. Wow. <laughs> oh, that is scary. Okay, so then I found this quote from an article published by Texas Monthly when David Harris was interviewed by a journalist. Uh, the journalist asked something like, do you think your lives would be different if Randall would have invited you to stay at the motel that night? And David says, I think about it. If he just would have said, come on in. The journalist then asks, then what? Adams didn't kill that cop, did he? David smiles at this question and the journalist asks, did you kill that cop? And David responds, I can't answer that. And then the journalist says, it can't hurt you now, meaning because he's already like on death row, like you might as well just say the truth. And to this, David says, well, it can't help me either. So maybe he had a bit of hope he was going to get off uh, death row. But then he says, but if it ever gets to the point where they're strapping me on that gurney to die, stand by for a statement. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, okay, so that's getting closer and closer to a confession, I would say. Sometime later, I couldn't find the exact date, but David Harris, he does confess. Uh, and he says that Randall Adams wasn't even there that night. Officer Woods was shot and killed. This testimony given by David was during a habeas corpus hearing for Randall Adams and David Harris. He never said that he himself killed the Dallas officer. All he said was Randall wasn't even there that night. He wasn't driving the car. So whatever you think that means, this is where my theory comes in. I said I was going to mention it later and now is later. So David Harris said had he been invited in to stay the night in Randall's motel room, none of this would have happened. Essentially, that's what, that's what he said. He also said something like, had David had helped out someone who helped him out, then maybe he wouldn't be where he is. And I mean, obviously he's saying, well, maybe if he'd given me a place to stay because I helped him out with fuel and then he didn't help me out. Or I don't know, maybe he's saying something like that. And maybe he was using this as a way to justify telling the police that Randall shot that police officer. I believe David did want to sleep in the motel room that night. And Randall, he did probably go to check with his brother, but his brother was sleeping. And he probably didn't feel good about having a 16-year-old boy sleep in this motel room with him and his brother, whatever his reasons were didn't come back out and David was probably waiting outside. He he probably got hurt that Randall wouldn't make room for him, you know, the kid who helped him when he when he ran out of gas and needed help and and now he wasn't getting the help that he needed, which was a, a place to sleep, a, a roof over his head for the night. Okay, so here's my theory. 
I was a backpacker for like eight years. I've lived in my car. I've lived in my van. I've lived in vehicles. I've lived in tents. I've lived in many places in the world. And let me tell you that parking near an all-night diner to sleep would have been a good idea for David. He, you know, this would have, if this was the reason why potentially it was him parked there, I don't know, he was never done for this crime. So I have to say allegedly that David was allegedly parked there, that that would be a good reason. He didn't have a place to sleep. He couldn't sleep at Randall's motel room. So perhaps he drove to this diner that was open late. Um, Apparently, I'm not sure, but I think I read this wasn't a very nice area they were in. So being near this, this diner offers some security and then not being in the parking lot means he doesn't have to worry about the owners coming out and, and kicking him out because someone sees him sleeping there. So he parks across the road. There's a toilet available in the diner. They've got water. They've got food. There's people in the parking lot if he wants to try to bum a ciggy or some change off somebody. To me, it just makes sense that he would go there to, to sleep. So I believe David pulled up to sleep on the side of the road near the diner. The officers saw him driving and parking with no headlights on because they were just in the diner having a milkshake. When Officer Woods walked up to tell David, hey, turn your your headlights on, he probably thought it was about the stolen vehicle. He probably thought he was going to get caught for stealing this vehicle, for having guns on him. He got scared and perhaps, I'm just saying, maybe he shot the officer and then sped off. Maybe that's what he means by if Randall would have invited him in that night, things would be different. Due to a lack of credibility of the witnesses at Randall Adams' trial and all of the stuff the documentary brought to light, Randall Dale Adams was exonerated in May of 1989 and he was set free after 12 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Randall Adams' mother gave this quote to People's Magazine. I prayed every day that God would send us Moses. Errol Morris is the Moses that God sent. Wow, I would say this documentary had a lot to do with Randall being freed, wouldn't you? I mean, that's straight out of his mother's mouth. So then why did Randall go all lawsuit on Errol Morris for making it. That's right. There was a legal battle about the documentary, The Thin Blue Line. And I'm thinking, maybe that's why I can't locate it easily to watch. Maybe that's why I'm finding it nearly impossible to rent or buy or watch on anything. Randall Adams and Errol Morris, they did not fight it out in the courtroom. They sorted out their differences outside of the courtroom. It seemed... Randall Adams, he was not happy about signing away his life story to Errol for the documentary. But without the documentary, it seemed like Randall wouldn't have gotten out of jail to live his life. They did sort it out, whatever that means. I do not know the details, but they did sort it out. So I don't know if there was some royalties or some payment or some paperwork ripped up. I I have no idea. Randall Adams, he did write a book. So maybe he needed the rights to his own story so he could publish a book on it. And I mean, he should have rights to his own story. He should. The the state just took 
12 years of his life, you know, he can't have his story taken from him as well. So this book that he wrote, it was published in 1992 and it's called Adams vs. Texas. It has really good ratings actually when I looked it up. I may have to add it to my reading list. I'm very, very curious. I want to read it. Um, I might do that and then do another episode on the book, like a review, but also talking about all the pieces of the puzzle that I missed about everything that I could only find in this book. At first, it didn't seem like Randall wanted anything to do with being a spokesperson for the anti-death penalty uh, side of things, because I read in an article from uh, in a People magazine from 1989, I read this. Adams has refused to lend his name to a campaign against the death penalty. Under Texas law, he is ineligible for any restitution from the state. And then uh, Randall Adams, he gives this quote. I would settle for an apology note. <laughs> It'll take a while. You don't forget 13 years just like that. Just don't ask me to lead any causes for the next 13 years. Which I'm like, fair enough, Randall. No one's asking you to do anything you don't want to do. But then I read that he did join the fight against the death penalty. And he said this in 1998 or in 2001 or maybe both perhaps. I got two different dates on this quote, uh, which was said at a anti-death penalty legislation hearing. Quote, the man you see before you is here by the grace of God. The fact that it took 12 and a half years and a movie to prove my innocence should scare the hell out of everyone in this room. If it doesn't, then that scares the hell out of me. And I got that quote from webarchive.org. I also read that Randall Adams did marry when he got out of prison to a woman named Jill Frada. Jill was apparently the sister to a man who was on death row in the same prison that Randall was in. Although I couldn't fully confirm that, I did read that. And Jill, she also apparently was part of this anti-death row activism, which that would make sense if her brother was on death row and also why Randall changed his tone and was like, okay, I'll speak out against the death penalty. Maybe it was his, his, his wife's doing. Well, not her doing, but maybe she kind of pushed him in the direction. Like, hey, you were on death row. Hey, my brother's on death row. You have a voice. This movie came out. People know you. Let's use it. And he was like, okay, let's do it. I mean, this case, it does make you look long and hard at the death penalty. Look at how many people's trials Dr. Death testified at. How many of them were innocent and how many of them actually died from the lethal injection because of their death sentences? It's a scary thought, isn't it? It is a terrifying and scary thought that you could be living your life and then all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, you did something. And you're like, I didn't do that. I wasn't even there. And they're like, mm, well, we want you for it. So we're going to get you. And now you're on death row. That's terrifying. That is a scary, scary thought. In 2004, David Harris was executed by the state of Texas using the means of lethal injection for the 1985 murder of Mark Mays. I don't know why this was interesting to me, but I read about his last meal 
and this was very intriguing to me. So he requested a double bacon burger with cheese, of course. Gotta have cheese. All the classic toppings. No pickles, though. I didn't read pickles, which surprised me. He had onion rings and french fries. He had another beef sandwich, also with with french fries and coleslaw. He had coffee cake, which I was like, okay, he must really love coffee cake. He also had a pitcher of lemonade and a pint of milk. And he also had tea with lemon. That's a lot of liquid. That's a ton of liquid. I don't know how much time they give you for your last meal, but he would have needed a lot of time. In 2010 on Devil's Night, which was October 30th, at 61 years old, Randall Adams died of a brain tumor while living back in Ohio, the same place he left for a road trip back in 1976. I just thought of something right now. So Randall Adams, he was going around and he was, he was you know, he jumped on board with this anti-death penalty group had he been successful he would have saved the life of David Harris the man whose original testimony got Randall contributed to getting Randall locked up for 12 years for a crime he didn't commit could you imagine that would have been a hell of a twist if he was responsible for David Harris still being alive because he spoke out against the the death penalty and actually had laws changed, actually got the death penalty taken off the off the table. Ah, that's crazy to think about. Well, that concludes this week's episode. Wow, okay, that was a lot, that one. Please give a five-star rating, a comment, a follow, a share, whatever you feel like doing. Please do that. It's free. And it supports me a lot and I love to see it. Head on over to TikTok or Instagram and find hell no underscore true crime podcast. Follow me there for weekly updates or just to say hello. Or tell me what your last meal would be because I find this absolutely fascinating. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.